Hi, Elliot Roger here. Well, this is my last video. It all has to come to this. Tomorrow is the day of retribution. The day in which I will have my revenge against humanity. Against all of you. For the last eight years of my life, ever since I've hit puberty, I've been forced to endure an existence, rejection, and unfulfilled desires, all because girls have never been attracted to me. Girls gave their affection and sex and love to other men, but never to me. I'm 22 years old and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. Who is Elliot Roger? Sometimes dubbed St. Elliot on forums and self-titled The Supreme Gentleman, Roger is given an awful lot of attention by the media. Indeed, his story is dark, cold, and terrifying. He's the first mass shooter of several that was explicitly or implicitly connected to inceldom. Most importantly, nearly all those that followed had made some sort of attribution to Roger himself. The term goer has become a meme used so frequently now, ironically, that it has almost lost its meaning. Sometimes members will capitalize the ERs in words, or the AMs, for Alec Manassian. Every incel I've spoken with has denounced Roger, calling him an idiot and a vol cell for a voluntary celibate, because Roger was a rather attractive kid. As I've said before, most of the members online socializing and cracking jokes will not go on a rampage. They do, however, relate to him, to many of his frustrations, and even his resentment. And while they couldn't imagine his rage or his hubris, perhaps because they couldn't imagine them, Roger represents something of a mythical figure, the darkest fantasy. Remember Frothy from episode one? We'll be coming back to Frothy next week. He explains. Don't mind the wind. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of praise for that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I, I, it's, it's not what it is, is people don't necessarily agree with what he did, but they aren't upset that it happened. Mostly because of who it happens to. And you did it happen too. It happened to college students who, who, who allegedly didn't give this man a chance. 
all of them individually? I mean, I want to say. Oh, no, 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 not, not all of them individually. No, that's, okay. that's impossible. Right. But um, the way people see it is this was a mission against the people, the kinds of people who reject the kind of people we are. Right. And so they, so people will look at at least what Roger intended to do and say, that was, I'm fine with that. I'm glad that happened. You can tell them, well, not, not every person he hurts. There's no way to, you can't just assume that all of those people that he hurt were the kinds of people that would reject you or had even rejected him. Right. And, you know, they will say, I don't know each individual person, but based on what I know about society and the real world, it's safer to assume that, yes, they are all like that. I think what makes him feel like a martyr to people was that he said he was doing it for us. He said he was doing it for people like him. And so you're looking, when you're given a gift horse and you're an incel, you can at least appreciate that someone feels on my hand and will do this thing for you. So Roger felt the incel's pain. And they appreciate the gesture, maybe even admire the bravery. But it's not something that most of them would ever consider doing. It's just a fantasy, an allegory. But every so often, a certain type of person believes in it, literally. So how can we identify an individual before they set out on the pathway to intended violence? Is it possible? I certainly don't have the answers. And believe me, I question myself as much as anyone. But we can examine this manifesto to try and understand how this happens, how someone succumbs to such malevolence. It's not glorifying. There's nothing glorious about this despicable act of vengeance against God. Elliot Roger, born in London in 1991, was the child of Peter Roger, an English film director, and Chin, a nurse of Chinese-Malaysian descent. He had a sister, Georgia, who was born when Elliot was four years old. The family was very wealthy and relocated to a Tony neighborhood in Southern California when Elliot was five, so that Peter could pursue his career in movies. As documented in painstaking detail in his manifesto, My Twisted World, Roger's childhood was marked by immense privilege. He went to a series of exclusive private schools and fancy summer camps. His parents divorced and both went on to relationships with other wealthy and successful people, all of whom Elliot disliked. His memories of early childhood are somewhat positive. The first bit's subtitled, A Blissful Beginning, Age Zero to Five, perhaps because they're not really memories, but stories told through photo albums at holidays and birthdays, recounting vacations in the Alps, trips to the zoo, summers on the estate, and other gifts bestowed on him. The attention to detail is uncanny, as he gives a year-to-year account of friendships made, hobbies and hairstyles acquired, and desires unrequited. But most of all, the manifesto is a tally of wrongdoing, of egoistic damages to be avenged. Humanity, it starts. All of my suffering on this world has been at the hands of humanity, particularly women. 
It has made me realize just how brutal and twisted humanity is as a species. All I ever wanted was to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity, but I was cast out and rejected, forced to endure an existence of loneliness and insignificance, all because the females of the human species were incapable of seeing the value in me. This is the story of how I, Elliot Roger, came to be. This is the story of my entire life. It is a dark story of sadness, anger, and hatred. It is a story of war against cruel injustice. In this magnificent story, I will disclose every single detail about my life, every single significant experience that I've pulled from my superior memory, as well as how those experiences have shaped my views of the world. This tragedy did not have to happen. I didn't want things to turn out this way, but humanity forced my hand, and this story will explain why. My life didn't start out dark and twisted. I started out as a happy and blissful child, living my life to the fullest in a world I thought was good and pure. And thus begins the 137 pages that follow, grandiose, florid, and childlike in its prose and its sentiment. The manifesto is, at least, rather candid. Roger details his failed attempts to be cool, to give up his magic cards, to start skateboarding, to befriend the right kids, his burgeoning fascination with World of Warcraft and pornography. He details his own self-loathing, his pettiness, his racism, and his cruelty. Entitlement is a term I find generally objectionable, and I do not believe that all incels are entitled in their desire for a romantic relationship, which is, after all, something almost all of us want, more than anything. But Roger is entitled as they come, as he goes on and on, excoriating his parents for not making enough money to please him, he bemoans his father's poor choice in artistic endeavors, his mother's regrettable choices in not marrying wealthy enough men, and the birth of his siblings. If Roger's memory is to be trusted, his childhood was indeed a whimsical time. Though he probably romanticized it a great deal, there's no reason to doubt that he experienced his blissful beginning the way he describes. Roger's calendar was packed with playdates, with friends he remembers by name, and trips to France and Morocco and Universal Studios. Before age six or seven, children are egocentric. Their cognitive structures do not yet characterize reality. But Roger was already aware of his short stature and the injustices he suffered as a result, such as being denied entry to an amusement park ride. He specifically lists the addresses of his family's various homes, the desirable neighborhoods clearly a point of pride. At age eight, his mother announced that she would be divorcing Roger's dad, but the arguments didn't really concern him all too much, and neither did the divorce. Roger continued to enjoy his childhood up through middle school, mostly remembering specific games and playdates and the occasional throw of jealousy. By age 11, his concern with being well-regarded led to a chronic social anxiety. Between ages 9 and 13, in his last period of contentment, Roger was still preoccupied with his hobbies, playdates, and covetable zip codes. But during this time, he was also becoming aware of his place in the pecking order, as we all are at that age. The way he describes it, his fixation with girls and being admired by them grew out of a more general need to be accepted. Roger was always measuring himself up against other boys. He rarely wrote of any strong desire for girls at all, outside of their value as a social commodity. One of Roger's fantasies, notably, at age 14, was not particularly sexual in nature. Rather, it was to stop others from having sex. I began to have fantasies of becoming very powerful and stopping everyone from having sex, 
I wanted to take their sex away from them, just like they took it away from me. I saw sex as an evil and barbaric act, all because I was unable to have it. This was the major turning point. My anger made me stronger inside. This was when I formed my ideas that sex should be outlawed. It is the only way to make the world a fair and just place. If I can't have it, I will destroy it. That's the conclusion I came to, right then and there. Notably, Roger was incredibly naive when it came to sex and sexuality, even for a boy his age. His first exposure to it was incidental, toward the end of 8th grade, at an arcade with online games called Planet Cyber, which had become like a second home for him. 8th grade was a tough year, as he was shuttled back and forth between his parents' homes, adjusting to life with his new baby brother and the merciless taunting of that evil bitch name Redacted, on whom he'd had a secret crush, among others. The narcissistic injuries were so extreme that Roger begged his parents to send him to Crespi, an all-boys Catholic school. They agreed. Anyway, one day, at Planet Cyber, Roger happened to see an older teenager watching pornography. The images shook and frightened Roger, and the combination of trauma, arousal, revulsion, and guilt drove him to tears. It was the beginning of my horrific downfall, he wrote, and he became known as the weird kid at Pinecrest, his middle school. After a summer trip to Morocco with his family, Elliot began high school and felt his otherness catching up to him even there, at the all-boys school. As he discovered his sexual urges, Roger was shocked and indignant to discover that many of the boys his age were already engaging in it to an extent with actual girls. His grades began slipping, and Roger was required to change to a larger, co-ed high school. The bullying and anxiety there were too much to bear, and Roger ended up completing his diploma at a continuation high school, chiefly for adults, with less substrata of social life. This also allowed plenty of free time for World of Warcraft, though this caused a great deal of conflict with his stepmother. As Roger matured to the extent that he did, the problem of his virginity grew pernicious indeed. Roger believed himself to be a person of exceptional intelligence, overqualified for the few jobs he would quit and the classes he would drop in his early adulthood. His father's second wife was hostile to Roger and often compared him to his younger half-brother, his relationship with his mother was strained and strange, but codependent. Both parents continued to indulge him with gifts, dinners, luxury automobiles, and childlike delights on the holidays. And he continued to believe himself destined for greatness, for becoming a multimillionaire at a young age, and for the pretty blondes in his college to worship. His best friend James eventually grew weary of his self-obsession and rage, and the revenge he would have on those who insulted me or lived a better life than me. I thought James could relate to me, Elliot mused, since he was also a virgin with no girls in his life, but some of the things I said began to disturb him. One night, with a lot of distress, he told me enough was enough. He didn't want to hear it anymore. Roger would stop speaking to James altogether. In June of 2011, at the age of 19, he moved from L.A. to Santa Barbara to attend the community college there, after giving up first on Pierce and then Moore College figured that living on his own might be the solution he'd long been waiting for, and considered the move the last chance he would give to the world. It was one of many last chances. This chapter in his manifesto is titled, Santa Barbara, End Game. Roger was dismayed immediately when, instead of decent housemates, he was instead met with low-class scum, particularly one ugly pig named Angel, who asked about his virginity on his second day, 
and supposedly started a fight with him the next. Roger began going home to Topanga Canyon, to his mother's house, on the weekends, and started seeing his friend James again. But this rekindled friendship would not last long. One night, a group of teenagers, high school students, walked into the Chinese restaurant where Roger and James were eating, accompanied with their girlfriends, sending Roger storming off in a fit of rage. James soon followed after, but grew visibly disturbed as Roger continued ranting about these boys and the violent revenge he wished upon them. He couldn't relate, according to Roger. He was a weakling. James never invited him over again. Roger would go on to have some short friendships with others in Santa Barbara and self-soothe by spending the $200 gift cards his mother sent him on designer jeans and sneakers. He got through the fall semester and spent a holiday in England with his family, where he delighted in receiving more gifts and imagining a life less ordinary abroad. But when spring rolled around, Roger was discouraged yet again. He formed a crush on a girl in his math class and then dropped the class upon learning that she had a boyfriend. Shortly after, in a rage, he dropped all his other classes as well. At age 21, with no obligations or hopes for the future, Roger began to spiral into a cycle of isolation, depression, and compulsion over the coming months. He became obsessed with the idea of amassing great wealth, trying his luck at the lotto, and consuming books about personal success. When he failed to win any of the various state lotteries he'd entered, Roger broke down to both of his parents who'd arranged for him to see a psychiatrist. That winter, Roger began to plan for the day of redemption. Friendless, bitter, now devoid of all prospects for either beating or joining those he so envied, he continued to go through the motions of a hapless existence on the surface. But Roger had already completed his first act of preparation by mid-December and bought a handgun, a Glock 34 semi-automatic, which he'd researched online at a shop in nearby Galetta. During the first few months of 2013, Roger existed like a shadow in a purgatory of desire, entertaining the idea of a financial windfall and occasionally purchasing Powerball tickets. By the spring, he'd set a date for the Day of Retribution in November. Roger bought his second handgun, a Sig Sauer P226. This was also the time when Roger encountered POAHate.com, a major precursor to the incel forums, which he found relatable but depressing and tried to share with his parents who set him up with a life coach and several other counselors. On the eve of his 22nd birthday, Roger attended a college party in Del Playa in hopes of losing his virginity one last time. If you're enjoying this episode of Incel, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. It is the best way to spread the word about Incel so that others can hear it as well. One of the best ways to support your favorite podcast so that other people can discover it is to give it a five-star rating and leave a well-written review. We creators love to get your feedback, even the bad kind. I stood awkwardly in the front yard for a bit, realizing how pathetic I looked all by myself when everyone was partying around me. To calm down, I climbed up onto a wooden ledge that bordered the street and plunged down on one of the chairs there. Isla Vista was at its wildest state at the time, and I then, in my drunken carelessness, extended my arm out and pretended to shoot them all, laughing giddily as I did it. Eventually, some partiers climbed up onto the ledge. They were all obnoxious, rowdy boys whom I'd always despised. A couple of pretty girls came up and talked to them, but not to me. They all started socializing right next to me, and none of the girls paid any attention to me. I rose from my chair and tried to act arrogant and cocky toward them, throwing insults at everyone. They only laughed at me and started insulting me back. That was the last straw. 
I had taken enough insults that night. A dark, hate-fueled rage overcame my entire being, and I tried to push as many of them as I could from the ten-foot ledge. My main target was the girls. I wanted to punish them for talking to the obnoxious boys instead of me. It was one of the most foolish and rash things I ever did, and I almost risked everything in doing it. But I was so drunk with rage that I didn't care. I failed to push any of them from the ledge, and the boy started to push me, which resulted in me being the one to fall onto the street. When I landed, I felt a snap in my ankle, followed by a stinging pain. I slowly got up and found that I couldn't even walk. I had to stumble, and stumble I did. I tried to get away from there as fast as I could. The broken ankle left Roger unable to walk for weeks. He realized he'd have to postpone his plan and referred to the setback as giving him a few more months of life, perhaps even time to look for a way out. Interestingly, despite feeling duty-bound to the plan, Roger was hoping for an escape for a deus ex machina. He was physically incapacitated during the day of retribution. For what greater an act of God could one seek? But he rescheduled it for the spring. From that point on, he was utterly consumed with his plan and thought of nothing but the injustices he'd received, saw nothing but the merciless kissing couples in the parks at night. He told no one of his plan. He spoke of his hatred of women, and especially of popular men, with an old acquaintance one night while looking up at the stars. The friend, sensing something, urged him not to squander his intelligence by doing anything rash. Roger assured him he would not. According to his recollection, the year passed over as something of a blur, a series of futile therapy sessions, arguments, and bitter, bitter resentment, followed by increasingly concrete and detailed fantasies of the final massacre. First phase, vengeance, the killing of his brother, stepmother, and anyone in the way. Second phase, war on women, punishment for depriving him of sex, for which he'd settled on the Alpha Phi sorority house. I've been through college for two and a half years, more than that, actually, and I'm still a virgin. It has been very torturous. College is the time when everyone experiences those things such as sex and fun and, and pleasure. But in those years, I've had to rot in loneliness. It's not fair. You girls have never been attracted to me. I don't know why you girls aren't attracted to me, but I will punish you all for it. It's an injustice, a crime, because I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy, and yet you throw yourselves at all these obnoxious men instead of me, the supreme gentleman. I will punish all of you for it. <laughs> On the day of retribution, I am going to enter the hottest sorority house of UCSB. And I will slaughter every single spoiled, stuck-up, blonde slut I see inside there. All those girls that admired so much, they would have all rejected me and look while they throw themselves at these obnoxious brutes. I'll take great pleasure 
and slaughtering all of you. You will finally see that I am, in truth, the superior one, the true alpha male. <laughs> After I've annihilated every single girl in the sorority house, I'll take to the streets of Isla Vista and slay every single person I see there. All those popular kids who live such lives of hedonistic pleasure while I've had to rot in loneliness for all these years, they've all looked down upon me every time I try to go out and join them. They've all treated me like a mouse. Well, now, I will be a god compared to you. The week before the intended date, Roger uploaded several videos onto YouTube to express his views and feelings to the world, though he didn't intend on uploading his ultimate video until moments before the attack. His plan was delayed again when two officers came around for a welfare check, alerted by the videos. They did not check his room. Roger took his videos down immediately, with the plan to release them on the day of the attack. On May 23rd of 2014, Elliot Roger, 22, killed six people and injured 14 others before killing himself in Isla Vista, California, near the campus of University of California, Santa Barbara. He was a member of the website PUA Hate, the anti-pickup artist community online, which shut down shortly after the attack. Most of its members migrated to a website known as Sluthate. Dubbed St. Elliot by Incels Online, Roger has become a martyr and the inspiration for a few copycats. According to his parents' divorce documents, Roger was diagnosed with Asperger's Syndrome, a form of autism spectrum disorder, when he was seven years old, and his manifesto displays many indications of narcissistic personality disorder. This particular pairing of diagnoses, as studied by Claire LLE and Lino Faccini, is a particularly dangerous one. Victims George Chen, 19 Cheng Yuan James, 20 Weihan David Wang, 20 Catherine Breen Cooper, 22 Christopher Ross Michaels Martinez, 20 Veronica Elizabeth Weiss, 19 on October 1st, 2015, at Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon, Chris Harper Mercer, age 26, fatally shot nine people before police responded, engaging him in a shootout. The final blow was delivered by Harper Mercer upon himself. Harper Mercer was born in Torrance, a city in Southern California, to Ian Mercer and Laurel Harper, who were married only 11 months before separating. He had a lifelong interest in guns, which he developed attending shooting ranges with his mother, and did a month-long stint in the U.S. Army before being discharged after a suicide attempt. He is also said to have been diagnosed with Asperger's Syndrome and was hospitalized for psychiatric episodes. Harper Mercer posted a message on 4chan's R9K board for Hikikimori, a Japanese subculture devoted to listless and infantilized young adults, which later became something of an insult for him, on the day before the attack, warning... Some of you guys are all right. Don't go to school tomorrow if you're in the Northwest. Happening thread will be posted tomorrow. On the day of the attack, he passed along writings documenting his frustration with his virginity, as well as his obsession with the shootings at Isla Vista and Sandy Hook. Victims Lucero Alcarez, age 19, Trayvon Taylor Ansbach, 
20. Rebecca Ann Carnes, 18. Quinn Glenn Cooper, 18. Kim Saltmarch Dice, 59. Lucas Ibel, 18. Jason Dale Johnson, 33. Lawrence Levine, 67. Serena Dawn Moore, 43. On July 31st, 2016, Sheldon Bentley, age 38, robbed and then killed an unconscious man in an alleyway in Edmonton, Alberta. Donald Doucette, 51, was a man described as the working poor, laying unconscious behind the Lucky 97 supermarket where Bentley worked security before Bentley turned around and stomped him to death. During his trial, Bentley blamed work-related stress and being involuntary celibate as the causes of his frustration. In a psychological assessment for his pre-sentence report, Bentley reported an unstable upbringing as well as being abused as a child. A pellet gun and set of nunchucks were also found in his work backpack at the time of his arrest. On December 7, 2017, William Atchison, age 21, killed two people and then himself in Aztec, New Mexico, in a shooting at Aztec High School, where he was a former student. He entered the school disguised as a student, carrying a backpack with a Glock pistol and a thumb drive detailing his plans to hold a class hostage and kill students. The previous year, he'd been investigated by the FBI after posting a desire to purchase cheap assault rifles for a mass shooting. He was fixated with white nationalists and racist websites and used the pseudonym Elliot Roger on several online forums, praising the superior gentleman. Victims. Casey Jordan Marquez, 17. Francisco Fernandez, 16. On February 14, 2018, Nicholas Cruz, age 20, killed 17 people in the Valentine's Day massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Cruz was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and oppositional defiance disorder and had refused the care of a physician once he turned 18. There is a fair amount of speculation about his connection to the community, and some rumors about his having had a girlfriend and not being celibate, but also of praising Roger in a YouTube comment. Elliot Roger will not be forgotten. Victims. Alyssa Alhadef, 14. Scott Beigel, 35. Martin Duke, 14. Nicholas Dworet, 17. Aaron Feiss, 37. Jamie Gutenberg, 14. Chris Hickson, 49. Luke Hoyer, 15. Carol Lofren, 14. Gina Montalto, 14. Joaquin Oliver, 17. Elena Petty, 14. Meadow Pollock, 18. Helena Ramsey, 17. Alex Schachter, 14. Carmen Shentrup, 16. Peter Wang, 15. On April 23, 2018, Alec Manessian, age 25, drove a van into a crowded city street in Toronto, Ontario, killing 10 people and injuring 14 others. On the morning of the attack, Manassian posted to Facebook, the incel rebellion has already begun, referencing a meme commonly found on the website. Private recruit Manassian Infantry 00010, wishing to speak to Sergeant Fortran, please. C-232-49161. The incel rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Roger. Vehicle ramming attacks have been a tactic of terrorist organizations that had sort of flurried recently, notably by Al-Qaeda and also in the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017. 
Manassian enrolled in the Canadian Armed Forces for two months before requesting a voluntary release after 16 days of recruit training. He'd also attended a special needs class in elementary school for students within the autism spectrum. Victims. Beautis Renuka Amar Singh, 45. Andrea Braden, 33. Geraldine Brady, 83. Sohei Chung, 22. Anne-Marie D'Amico, 30. Chulmin Eddie Kang, 45. Mary Elizabeth Forsyth, 94. Jihoon Kim, 22. Manir Najjar, 85. Dorothy Sewell, 80. On November 2nd, 2018, Scott Bayerl killed two people and injured three others, killing himself in a shooting at the Hot Yoga Tallahassee studio in Florida. Like Roger, he posted videos on YouTube, ranting about his hatred of women. He lamented the unfairness of his lack of a girlfriend and even referenced Roger himself. He also posted racist and misogynistic songs to SoundCloud. Victims, Maura Binkley, 21. Dr. Nancy Van Thessem, 61. In January, 2019, Christopher Cleary was arrested for posting on Facebook about how he was planning on shooting up a public space soon and being the next mass shooter and killing as many girls as I see due to frustration with his virginity. He received a sentence of five years prison time at a courthouse in Utah, a controversial ruling over a threat. On June 17, 2019, Brian Isaac Clyde, age 22, took an AR-15 to the Earl Cabell Federal Building and Courthouse in Dallas, Texas, in an attempt to begin a shooting spree. However, Clyde was shot and killed by Federal Protective Service officers before hurting anyone. On social media, he shared incel-related memes from 4chan. Clyde has served a full two years in the Army, and the Joint Base Andrews Military Base briefed its personnel on incels after this incident. This was reported by members of the incel community, leading to the mistaken belief that the military is now targeting incels. In fact, the memo was only intended to identify certain behaviors on base by military personnel. Clyde's father made a statement following the attack, claiming that this was suicide by cop, and Clyde never intended to kill anyone. He was a good shot, his father said. We clearly have a problem here. I don't have the answers. I don't even have the questions. But I think a place to start is with a dialogue. And the pretext that we can acknowledge these tragedies, and we can acknowledge the threat, and we can acknowledge that for some, this community is a vector for radicalization, and still acknowledge that most of its members will never turn violent. We can hear their grievances in open air, instead of othering and dehumanizing that which we fear. Why do things have to be this way? I'm sure that is the question everyone will be asking after the day of retribution is over. They will all be asking why. Indeed, why? That is the question I've had for everyone throughout all my years of suffering. Why was I condemned to live a life of misery and worthlessness while other men were able to experience the pleasure of sex and love with women? Why do things have to be this way? I ask all of you. All I ever wanted was to love women and in turn to be loved by them back. Their behavior towards me has only earned my hatred, and rightfully so. I am the true victim in all of this. I am the good guy. Humanity struck at me first by condemning me to experience so much suffering. 
I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. I didn't start this war. I wasn't the one who struck first, but I will finish it by striking back. I will punish everyone, and it will be beautiful. If you or someone you know is struggling with feelings of hopelessness, please reach out to one of the links provided in the show description.